Hello and welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward. I'm Bruce Maples, publisher of Forward Kentucky. Our guest this week is Hank Linderman, who's running for Congress in the 2nd District. I always enjoy talking to Hank because he always has lots of good ideas and things to discuss, and this was no exception. In fact, I thought it was such a good discussion that I decided to do something different this week with the podcast. I'm also making a YouTube video of it that I'm going to post on YouTube. So you can either listen to the podcast or watch the video or both. If people like this, if you like this, if you would let me know, I would appreciate it. I may start doing this with all of our podcasts since we record them with video but don't usually use it. So now here's our discussion with Hank Linderman. I'm here today talking to Hank Linderman, who is running for Congress in the 2nd District. Hank, welcome back to Moving Kentucky Forward. It's great to be here, Bruce. I really appreciate you taking the time, especially since you are not only a congressional candidate, but also a working musician doing various music projects, which I could, as another musician, I could spend a lot of time talking about, but we won't do that. Um, So let's just jump right into it. You're running against Brett Guthrie in the second district. How is the campaign going? Uh, The campaign is going uh, just fine, but it's going to be a very different campaign. Okay. Um, We have four districts in Kentucky that Democrats are going to struggle to do well in. That's the first, second, fourth, and fifth. These are our rural and small town districts. Sure. um, so, and let's remember that in uh, in the second, I believe that the second hasn't thrown out an incumbent for something like 140 years, which is, so look, things occur um, and not that, you know, we don't wish any harm on any other human being. Uh, so you do always have to have someone in the race in case mm-hmm. something happens. Uh, um, in case, in case Brett Guthrie gets appointed to the Supreme Court, uh, for <laughs> I'm sorry, that was not an image I was planning on during this interview. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, a big part of uh, uh, what is going on in our country, the amount of division that is going on, is worse than anything I've seen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I was around for the Vietnam War, and I thought all that business was bad, but this is much worse. Um, I saw an interview with uh, someone from CNN. He's written a book about Lincoln. Uh, uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was being interviewed by Stephen Colbert. And he commented that we're in the middle of a cold civil war. And I had not heard it called that before, but that's exactly true. And he used the example of Lincoln's, uh, I think it's from his second inaugural, where he said, um, with charity towards all and malice towards none, we've got to bind up our nation's wounds to take care of the widows and the orphans and to you know rebuild. So that was plan the the, the follow up plan that Lincoln had after the Civil War, and of course he wasn't able to implement that. Right. And in Kentucky, particularly, I think we suffer because the Civil War wasn't really truly concluded. Hmm. I spoke with a Western Kentucky professor of history at uh, an NAACP dinner, I want to say in 2018. Um, He was sitting at my table 
And I asked him about this. It's, I said, I try to explain Kentucky to other people and it's difficult. But I said, one of the things is I, I think the Civil War wasn't settled here. And he said, the term of art we use is that Kentucky joined the Confederacy after the Civil War. Mm. I thought, well, that's, wow. really, that's really thought provoking. So we have a lot of unresolved uh, differences. Um, uh, and I don't think that uh, calling each other names and being horrible to each other is the answer. Um, and just from a practical standpoint, I don't spend a lot of time complaining about those horrible Republicans or whatever, because, um, uh, you know, kind of who cares? It takes no courage for a Democrat to criticize Republicans and no courage for a Republican to criticize a Democrat. And we've gotten used to not caring at all what the other party says about us. So it's kind of time wasting, uh, I think. I, I mean, unless your purpose is to get people all lathered up and sell commercials, commercial time, and so on and so on. So uh, moving forward, if we're going to repair our family in Kentucky, we're going to have to do that with kindness and charity and malice towards none, you know. So that's generally the approach I want to take. The other thing is that when we run in districts like the first, second, fourth, and fifth, um, I think it's completely wrong for us to focus on winning. Uh, in a district that it's not likely to win this time. You got to be in position to win and you got to be in position to serve if you're called. Um, and, you know, anything can happen in politics. Right. But if that's your only goal in a district like this, um, I think you're wasting everyone's time. And, you know, look, this is one of the problems we face in politics throughout the United States. There are very few contestable races. Very few. I think there's something like eight contestable Senate races coming up out of um, uh, how many uh, Senate races are coming up uh, this year? Well, it'd be a third of 100. So third of 100. Right. So there's so only a third of them or a quarter of them are really contestable. Right. So. You know, that makes the argument that Democrats should just go, well, we can't win there. So let's just stop and let's stop putting money into the second, for example, most conservative district in the state of Kentucky. It makes sense. However, when you do it for as long as we've done it, which is two and three decades in, in the case of some of these districts, it means that we are out of the conversation. We aren't able to listen to people on the ground. And it means we're caught, uh, we're blindsided by the uh, rise of Donald Trump, for example. I remember um, talking to friends uh, that live in the cities in New York or Los Angeles, and they just couldn't believe that Trump could win. Couldn't believe it. If you drove around Kentucky, you could certainly believe it. You had oh, no yeah. problem. Kentucky and Indiana. So that means, look, we've got to invest in, we as Democrats have to invest in our rural and small town districts in the face of losing, in the face of losing, and use these races to reconnect with our grassroots, to start to have the conversations that are sometimes difficult. Bruce, I think you're on a thread that's going on right now, an email thread with the Rural Council. Are you seeing that avalanche of email discussion? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, there's a and of course, I wrote an article arguing for uh, running everywhere, uh, even if you know that, like you said, it, we know we're going to lose or we're almost sure we're going to lose, 
but you show up anyway for the yeah. conversations and yeah. to let people know that your party doesn't have two horns and a tail. I mean, <laughs> exactly right. you know, we are people just like you. So, okay, with all of that said, I mean, I know you are running and you have an organization and you're doing the work and so on and so forth, but it feels like you are coming at this a little bit differently than most people who go into politics and really more interested in bringing people together and getting people to see the other side differently. You know, when I started running in 2018, I was coming from, you know, a career in the music business. And I was rather naive. Bear in mind that in 2016, the second didn't even have a candidate. And uh, so I thought, well, that's completely fair for me to, to now run. There's no one who's already been running. Um, and so I was a bit bright eyed and bushy tailed and we can do this and, you know, all of that. By the end of the campaign, I realized, wow, this is a completely different beast. And so I began in 2019 organizing and connecting people in Davis County to Warren County to Boyle County to um, Hardin County and getting involved with local parties and getting them introduced to each other. Uh, you know, we have 120 counties in Kentucky and a lot of people are born in their county, they grow up, they get married, they work in their county, and they don't spend a lot of time outside of their county. And they're very aware of and concerned about what's going on inside their county, but three, four counties away, they've got no idea. And so that's one of my arguments is we need to leapfrog the county setup. And the, the advantages of this are that when you have uh, party chairs, for example, from one county and they meet another party chair, they've just found a brother or a sister. They've just mm -hmm. made a friend and that will build something. So um, I've expanded that by, um, I've gotten involved with the Rural Council, which is an advisory council to the Kentucky Democratic Party. Um, it was put into existence uh, October a year ago and uh, I was elected the chair. And again, I'm using that to have folks in the, especially in the rural and small town districts, get introduced to each other and start to share thoughts and, and share some camaraderie. Sure. Um, the big piece that I've added this time in 2022, as I also ran in 2020, um, uh, but in 2022, what I'm adding is the idea that we need to use these campaigns to influence our parties across the country. There's nothing special about the Kentucky Democratic Party. I'm not trying to single them out. Our Democratic Party across the country needs to be better connected to the people. By the way, that's when I speak with Republicans or Democrats, the one thing they all agree on, there's not a lot of agreement. You know, you get some things, there'll be some agreement, but it's never 100%, one exception. And that is, well, you know, really neither party's doing a great job taking care of the people, 100% so far. And back to the idea that it makes no sense for Democrats to criticize Republicans, they ain't going to hear it. It means that the problems in the Republican Party need to be addressed by Republicans. That's their job. And taking care of our party is our job. So I've been arguing to the KDP and arguing in a gentle way. You know, I'm using that, you know, the term argument as a proper term, not as a, you know, uh, uh, aggressive term. But I've been making the argument that the party should be contributing to whoever their nominee is in these federal races in the first, second, fourth, and fifth. Um, not that their contribution would change the race, 
But not contributing makes an incredibly poor statement. Not only you're telling a candidate, we won't support you, you're telling a district, we don't believe in you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly bad. And uh, look, I get it. I, the Kentucky Democratic Party has a, this is a group of very hardworking people. There's not a lot of them. Um, so uh, I want to temper any criticism with some appreciation for the work they do. And I'm friends with several of them. And uh, uh, at the same time, I want to be able to offer some constructive criticism to them. <clears throat> and I think there's in the future going to be a price to be paid for not supporting these unwinnable races. And this, I think, is a particularly interesting and potent idea for races across the country. So, for example, Republicans in California could use their unwinnable race in Santa Monica, for example, on the west side of Los Angeles, uh, to make adjustments inside their own party, for example, to maybe help them find better ways to uh, approach social justice. Because ultimately, if both of our parties are better connected to the people, we will all be better off. Mm. And speaking as a Kentuckian and a Kentuckian who now lives in a rural area, I, I'm a Democrat and I would prefer that Democrats be the ones to offer solutions to rural and small town America. But if it's Republicans, it's OK with me. That raises another point. I'm progressive. You know, I, I'm. You know, if you look at Bernie Sanders, I'm probably I could probably agree almost 100 percent with the Bernie Sanders approach. However, uh, I don't look at my ideology as my goal. My ideology is a guide. I'm not trying to go. Yes, I got the progressive answer uh, to go forward. I'm very interested in solutions no matter where they come from. Mm -hmm. So progressive answers aren't always going to be right. And conservative answers aren't always going to be wrong. And if we approach this as problem solving, where we all get together and go, well, what about this? What about that? We ponder all sorts of options. If a conservative idea works, great. If it doesn't, can we try this? If, you know, if we get back to actual problem solving and collaboration, collaboration is a word we use in the music business. It's just the way it's done. You know, I make suggestions to the drummer, but he's the drummer, you know, right. Can we try this? And he'll try it and go, yeah, that's great. Or no, that sucks. Yeah. So, so, and that's kind of, and, and what we're focused on is not each other. We're not focused on, I need to get my way. We're focused on, you know, what I call the beach ball. Here it comes. Keep the beach ball in the air. It's coming your way. And uh, go ahead. You got a question. Sorry. Well, I, I, I want to, I want to counter this a little bit. Sure. Um, I, I agree, by the way, with pretty much everything you're saying. Uh, however, uh, one of the things that comes out of the political world is policy. Right. And so there are good policies and less good policies and actually really bad policies. Yes. And we are not going to always agree on those. Uh, I don't know. I don't care how much collaboration you try to do. Uh, so is there also a role for standing up for good policy, even to the point of taking action. Can you give me a concrete example? Well, okay. So uh, many of us have participated in various group actions opposing or supporting 
a particular policy. And your comment earlier about it doesn't do any good to attack Republicans because they don't hear it. And it just, you know, it's just to get people riled up. I have always focused at Forward Kentucky on seeing anybody as a human and not attacking the person. But I absolutely attack policies and say, you know, that's and behaviors you're attacking. You're, and yeah. that's, they're up for criticism, of course. Yeah. So so. Um, there are things that people do like showing up for rallies or going to support some group, uh, you know, and those are important. And, and, and you, you don't wait until you're able to have a collaborative meeting about it. You try to stop it because it's bad. So how, how does that factor into your worldview then? Um, well, I would say a couple of things. Um, you know, the solutions that we're talking about, this idea of collaboration and all that is not the complete answer. Um, and look, I marched against the Vietnam War. I protested the Vietnam War, war with my mom, by the way, who, okay. who came out and marched with me. I was a I think I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, uh, so public protest is important. It's the American way and should continue, provided it's not violent. Um, and yes, we should protest policies. Um, but I think we also have to be a little bit flexible. What's the goal of our policy? Is the goal of our policy to eliminate child poverty, for example? There's a lot of ways you could go at that. Mm-hmm. And the one that, you know, the one that seems to have worked most recently was just giving money away without any strings attached, right? Right. And the city of Louisville, I don't know if you've noticed, has uh, just inaugurated a $500 a month, uh, just no strings attached, money being given. I think the United Way is doing a is a primary funder of it. And, you know, there are objections. Uh, I think conservative objections are, well, how do you know they aren't on drugs? And, you know, how do you know they really need it? Turns out that when you start looking, you know, you test for drugs, we're going to test you for drugs or we're going to make sure you really need it. That means less of the money gets to where it needs to go. It's just more efficient just to give the money out and see what happens. They're going to try this for a year. Um, so I think we have to have some flexibility within our policy goals. Uh, I guess that's the, I don't know if that answers your concern. Well, but. you have, you have mentioned to me in the past, like you marched against the Vietnam war. I don't think it was just that action that long ago that you have taken. I think there are other things that you have done and are doing that fall into the protesting injustice space, for instance. So you had mentioned to me earlier that you were, for instance, getting ready to go to some sort of event that is about uh, protecting vulnerable people and protesting injustice. Can you say a word about that? I sure can. Um, I, I can't remember the exact month I did this, but it was I think it was last July. I traveled with a bunch of union members by bus down to Alabama to support striking coal miners. And it was an incredible experience. <clears throat> It was in the middle of COVID. We were all vaccinated. We all were wearing masks. You're on a bus for how many hours was that? Eight or 10 hours Um, going into restaurants that are just packed with people not wearing masks. I mean, it was an intense thing, but Mm. we went to the went to the rally. And yes, it is important to show up at those things. And I believe in it. And there's another one coming up that I'm hoping to be able to go on. I think it's later in March. So I'm planning on going. Um, It was a really powerful experience. 
to be around a bunch of union guys, some of whom I know, and you know, you express your opinion to them and they'll look right, you look you right in the face and say, you're out of your mind. You're wrong. You know, they'll go right at you. And then the next sentence, they'll say, keep up the good work, brother. And to be called brother by a union member, hmm. I mean, it just, you know, I'm getting chills thinking about it now. Okay. So, uh, yes, of course I'm in it. I got to tell you though, I got to confess that after Richard Nixon was pardoned, I withdrew from politics entirely because I thought, wow, if you're not going to punish Richard Nixon, you're not going to punish anybody. Sure. And I withdrew. I mean, I had all my opinions and I shot my mouth off, you know, for that period of time, but it wasn't until 2018 that I actually got back involved in politics. You know, one of the sad byproducts of politics that's ugly is that decent people say this is just too ugly for me and I'm out. Yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with it and I can't blame them. But the more of us that get involved, the more this will clean up. You know, I want to talk about briefly about we have to clean up our own house. And I'm going to give you an example that's very specific that's been playing out. Um, uh, members of Congress do exceptionally well in the stock market, something like 15% better than the general public. And Nancy Pelosi came out and said, this is a free market society and we shouldn't be restricted from trading in the market. And uh, then I think a week or two later, which I completely disagree with, by the way, I think congressional members of government shouldn't be allowed to trade. Their family members shouldn't be allowed to trade, in my opinion. They should have the same restrictions that people who work in financial services have. Hmm. You know, people in financial services can't, uh, a lot of them can't get involved in IPOs. They can't contribute to political parties. They can't, they can't get involved, you know, so there's restrictions on the, the financial sector. There need to be restrictions here. I thought it was interesting that Chuck Schumer came out and said, actually, I do support this. And within days, you know, maybe it's time for Chuck Schumer to retire. So that's the battle that's, but this is the job we have to do is to clean up our own house. And there is corruption inside both of these parties. They are both beholden to corporations to an unusual and uh, not a beneficial degree to the people. Yes. So, uh, uh, I just read the Wendell Berry article that was in the New Yorker. Uh, have you read that article? Yes. And I think his comment about corporations not being people, they've got no remorse, they've got no introspection, and all they're trying to do is create a bigger pile of money. Look, we need corporations. I buy things from corporations every day. I, you know, I, you know the, we all benefit from corporations, but the balance is off. Oh, yeah. And restoring that balance Balance is a tricky thing. Balance is, uh, you know, it's a moving target. And even if you achieve it, you've only got it for a very brief time before you've got to get back to work rebalancing, but it must be done. And uh, there's a great book, by the way, if anybody seeing this is interested in it, uh, there's a book called On Corruption in America by Sarah Chase. She's from uh, West Virginia. It's a spectacular book. And uh, she talks, she starts with the uh, story of King Midas, who's, you know, the example of greed, everything he touches turns to gold, including what he tries to eat or drink. And ultimately he touches his daughter. She turns to gold. He goes back to the temple, is instructed to take a bath in the river. Well, the location of that river is near a city that apparently King Midas was actually king of. And that city is known to be the place uh, that first made coins. It's the creation of money. Mm. And that corruption begins with the creation of money. So it's a fascinating book. 
and the, they, the author really works to make sure you see that there's corruption in both parties that must be dealt with. I mean, there's a side of this. Back to the idea of running in an impossible district. There are things that can be accomplished by running that you cannot accomplish by getting elected into a corrupt institution. And at the moment, our Congress is a corrupt institution, not because all members are corrupt, but there are enough of them that are, that the will of the people is not being done. So, by the way, I've, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, I do because, too. I enjoy it. Because it digs deeper than most conversations I have with most candidates. So let me ask you this. Let's assume, for the sake of argument, that you do lose the election, uh, then what's next? What what do you do after that? I know you are pretty heavily invested in this rural council, and there are things that you are trying to do there, uh, some of them with support of KDP and some of them just on your own. So how do you see the next, say, year and a half playing out for you? Um, well, first of all, that's a, I'm focused on November and the first thing I'm going to do is take a vacation and kind okay. of <laughs> just kind sure. of, just kind of recover. And, um, I don't, you know, just kind of disconnect from the internet and turn off the phone and won't matter where I am, um, and reconsider, you know, what's going on. What I'd like to do would be to be involved, uh, moving this work forward but I also want to say my work with the Rural Council has to be about ideas and has to be about that organization and that group of people and less about any individual. There are some strong individuals in that group. And if at the end of the election, if I'm just done and I just can't do any more, um, but the organization is moving forward or that we've successfully begun the process of reinvesting, I'm going to feel pretty good. and. You know, a lot of Kentucky politics is based around a personality. We mm -hmm. want to have a strong personality that we can invest in. I trust so-and-so. You know, I you know, I agree with so-and-so. You know, I really like that Bernie Sanders or I really like that Ted Cruz, whatever it is. American politics is built around personality to our detriment, mm -hmm. to our detriment. And the more we focus on ideas, ideals, and what the people need, the better things will be. So um, I have several thoughts. I mean, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, uh, this weekend I'm going to be proposing at the state central meeting, I'm going to be proposing a motion uh, for the creation of a committee called 1245, which is meant to be related to the first, second, fourth and fifth district that the state central would have a committee to begin the process of looking into outreach and messaging in those districts. Ultimately, I think the Kentucky Democratic Party needs to have a director level position uh, responsible for those for that job. Mm -hmm. It's so important mm -hmm. to have a, you know, we have a director now in the KDP of voting security, I believe. Voting security is important, but I, I think it's less important in Kentucky. We have paper ballots, so we have a more secure voting system than most. Uh, and I don't think there have been this I might be misinformed, and I don't think this is one of the battlegrounds, uh, battleground states over disenfranchising people in particular. There are some groups, yes, 
that, uh, that are always under threat. But the job of reaching out to rural and small town America by Democrats, this is a need across the country. So I see this as a massive opportunity for the Democratic Party. This is a crisis. Let's make the most of it mm -hmm. and perhaps lead the way to the rest of the nation. And I think it would uh, tremendously benefit our governor, who we all appreciate. We're so happy we have Governor Andy Bashir, and he's going to be in a tough election next year. I think these these ideas that we have of, you know, reaching out in rural and small town Kentucky will benefit uh, Governor Bashir and the future Democratic Party, whatever that looks like in years mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's not. And I would love to be part of that. On the other hand, um, there are other very capable people inside the KDP who could do that job. That's an exciting vision. And I absolutely agree with you that uh, figuring out a way to reach the rural parts of the state with both compassion and integrity is a really critical point. Hank Linderman, yeah. candidate in the second district, working musician, idea person, and passionate about rural Kentucky. Thank you for being on Moving Kentucky Forward. Thank you, Bruce. That was Hank Linderman, who's running for Congress in the 2nd District. I want to thank Hank for taking time out of his campaign and all his music work to do the interview and to have that great discussion. As I said, if you enjoy seeing our podcast as an actual video, please let me know, bruce at forwardky.com, and be sure and sign up for our video and follow our YouTube channel and you can get lots more great content at forwardky.com, forwardkentucky.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you in our next episode.